Hey Thrive Church, it's Pastor Kevin here. I am so glad that you've decided to join us online to listen to our message content. Um, what you're going to hear is from usually myself or one of our uh, communication team members. We actually use a teaching team at Thrive because we're one church in two locations. And so um, on any given Sunday, you're going to see myself or one of our gifted communicators at one of our locations. And this summer, we're actually in a series called Rewind. And what we're doing is taking some of our best message content throughout the years, the past seven years at Thrive, and we're repackaging it just for you so you can get some of the best sermons that you've ever heard at Thrive Church. If you were like me growing up, you had those little VHSs. Yes, I'm, I'm that old. And I used the VHS tape to watch uh, VHSs with. And on there, there was a, a sticker that said, when you rented it, please be kind and rewind. And they would charge you 50 cents if you didn't rewind. And so what we're doing for you is we're being kind, and we're doing a series called Rewind. So this summer, you're getting some of the best messages from Thrive Church throughout the years. Now on to today's message. I have to win championships. They don't just want to be great at their sport or what they do. They don't want to be good on a good team. They want to win championships. They have that drive. And it's also important to understand that these athletes don't just stumble into championships. They work hard and they have the drive to win the championships. Um, for me, I'm not really much of a sports guy, not a sports fan for the most part. However, I do enjoy NASCAR and racing. So that's, that's for me. I know some of you guys don't consider that sport, but I enjoy it. So that's okay. You just I'm here today standing here, so you get to listen to what I say about it. <laughs> um, but I like, I like NASCAR. So last year, the champion was Joey Logano. And in NASCAR, they have playoffs towards the end of the year. And the way you progress is if you win a race, you move on to the next round. And so two races before the championship race, Joey Logano is it's on the last lap of the race. He's in second. And he goes in the last turn and knocks the guy that's leading out of the way, drag race to the finish and, and wins. And it was a very controversial finish. Everyone all over news, media, social media, whatever, they were all like going up to him like, man, I can't believe you did that. Do you think that was like wrong of you to do that? And he point blank looked, he's like, hey man, all I was thinking was championship. Because he knew if he won that race, he automatically went to the championship race. And he was in contention. Only four drivers got to be in contention for that. So he was going to be one of those guys. He won the championship race and he won the championship. So he knew on that last turn, if I don't win this race, I'm potentially going to lose the championship right here. For, it was two weeks away, but he knew I've got to win. He had literally to drive to win the championship. He had to drive to win. And so I know some of you guys don't really watch NASCAR, but a lot of you guys know who Tom Brady is. A lot of, even if you don't watch sports, most people know who Tom Brady is. And Tom Brady also uh, has won several championships, su several Super Bowls. And one time a trainer asked him, he said, what is your favorite Super Bowl that you've won? And his reply was, the one I've yet to win. The one he's yet to win. He wasn't worried about all the however many 10 he's got. He's worried about the next one that he's, got, he's not won yet. That's drive. That's determination. And today, what we're going to talk about in Genesis 29 is how healthy and unhealthy drives can shape our lives. It's all about the drive. 
we're going to look at two unhealthy drives as we look at Genesis 29. But before we jump into that, I just kind of want to paint a backdrop of the passage that we're going to look at. So we're looking at the life of Jacob. Jacob is one of the patriarchs of the faith in the Old Testament. Uh, every time you hear his name mentioned, you hear Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's a, he's a big deal in the Old Testament. And so in this part of his life, he uh, is fleeing from his home because his brother is uh, upset with him and threatening to kill him. So his mother told him to go to his uncle's. He'd never been to his uncle's before. It was in a distant land. So he went. And when he arrives, the, the first thing he does is go to the well. He's thirsty. He's been on a long journey. He's trying to uh, get refreshed at the well. So he goes to the well, and the, the first person he sees there is Rachel. And for him, it's love at first sight. It's like the movies. He's, he's looking up from the well, drinking his water, and he hears the music playing. He, he feels Cupid's arrow, and he's just he's smitten, falls in love. There is a little bit of a, a little issue, kind of, for us uh, when he, he decides he likes her um, and he falls in love with her. Then he finds out, well, this is his cousin. So, luckily for him, in that day and time, kissing cousins wasn't frowned upon. He was able to marry his cousin. It wasn't uh, out of the ordinary. So, for, for us, that's weird. For him, that was okay. So, he goes to his uncle Laban and he asks, Hey, I, I've met Rachel. I really love her. I'd like to marry her. And uh, Laban says, yes, you can marry her on one condition. First, you have to work for me for seven years before you can marry her. And we had to realize, too, that working for him was a, not an easy job. He was going to be a shepherd, a farmer. He was doing a lot of physical, manual labor out in the heat. Imagine a day like today, and you're out there just sweating and working and from sunup to sundown. He did that for seven years, but you know what? He's like, it's worth it because I love her and I want to marry her. Well, the time finally comes, and it's time for the wedding. Well, Laban decides to get Jacob drunk so he can trick him into marrying the older sister, Leah, the wrong sister. And he does. He ends up marrying her, uh, wakes up the next morning, and it's Leah in the bed, not Rachel. And so he's all upset and like, why would you do this? And so in that day and time, though, it was custom that the oldest had to marry first. So he married Leah. And he agreed that he would work another seven years so he could marry Rachel because at that time he could have multiple wives. Don't know what he was thinking, but good for him. Um, so he worked another seven years, married Rachel, and that's kind of where we're going to jump in today, uh, where he's got these two wives, and the dilemma we're looking at is with Rachel is that Leah could have children, but at this time Rachel could not have children. And so um, that's where we're going to uh, go in, but it's important, important to know that in that day and time, too, for if you're, if you're trying to get into the mind of Rachel, that if you don't have children, it was like the worst thing in the world for a woman because her self-worth, her self-value was in if she could produce for the man and she even felt unloved by God if she couldn't produce. So she's feeling broken, she's feeling unloved spiritually, emotionally, she's feeling distant from her husband and that's all the emotions that's going with her not being able to have children. If you look at Genesis 29, starting in verse 31 through 35, 
It says, When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, The Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. She soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon, for she said, The Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. Then she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son. He was named Levi, for she said, Surely this time my husband will feel affection for me, since I have given him three sons. Once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah, for she said, Now I will praise the Lord. And then she stopped having children. Then I want to jump down to Genesis 30, verses 1 and 2. It says, When Rachel saw that she wasn't having any children for Jacob, she became jealous of her sister. She pleaded with Jacob, Give me children or I will die. Then Jacob became furious with Rachel. Am I God, he asked? He is the one who has kept you from having children. Rachel allowed this situation to create an unhealthy drive in her life. She allowed what she didn't have to make her unthankful for the things that she did have. She felt like her self-worth was wrapped up in having children. Her whole identity and how loved she felt was wrapped up in having children. She became obsessed to the point that it was hurting her marriage. It was hurting her emotional and her spiritual health. And that leads us to the big idea today that we can learn from Rachel, which is what drives us will determine what we pursue in life. What drives us will determine what we pursue in life. Rachel's drive, her obsession, was having children. That's what drove her. That's all she thought about. That's all she pursued. You know, like we mentioned earlier, with Joey Logano winning the championship, that's all he was thinking about. Tom Brady, when he's worried about the next championship, that's all they're thinking about. That's what's driving them. That's what they're pursuing. And for us, we have internal drivers in our lives that that drive the direction in which we pursue. And our drivers determine what we prioritize. And, you know, today we have just as much in common with Rachel, or more so than we like to admit. Um, We, like her, have unhealthy drives. And today I want to talk about how we can identify those unhealthy drives and specifically what they do to us. Um, Just imagine these scenarios. If If we have unhealthy drives, they give us bad outcomes. So just imagine these. So imagine you have an unhealthy drive or unhealthy appetite. Uh, you want to eat unhealthy, you want to do these things, well, the outcome is going to be that you're going to have poor health because you're eating junk and not taking care of yourself. If you have a drive for money and success, the outcome, the negative, is going to be you're going to become a workaholic and your spouse and your kids are going to be put on the back burner because you're worried too much about success and your career and making money. If you're driven to prove yourself to others, then you're going to overwork yourself to prove yourself to people that don't matter. And if uh, you're driven to please people, all you want to do is please them, then the outcome is going to be that you're never going to tell people the truth. You're going to be too worried that they're going to not like you. So you're just going to suck it up and just let them do whatever they want, run all over you because you're trying to please them. This is so important for us to understand today because it affects every area of our lives, our emotional health, our marriages, our families. If we have unhealthy drives, then they can destroy all of our lives. It might start in one area, but eventually it can bleed over into the other areas if we can't identify it and begin to learn to correct it. 
We might think on the surface, other people will see it and not think it's a big deal. But underneath, we'll, we'll know it's, it's slowly eroding at our lives, just like, just like it did for Rachel. In her marriage, in her life, in her spiritual life, it began to unravel every day. Because she felt she was in competition with her sister and she wasn't, wasn't getting anywhere. She began to blame her husband. It's important for us to identify the unhealthy drives in our own lives too so we can learn to deal with them and we don't sabotage all of our relationships in our lives. You know, not just for you. For me, this is, this is also something that I have to deal with. Um, you know, for me, I'm a very driven person. I'm very goal-oriented. That's just my natural uh, personality. And so that can be a good thing, but it can also be unhealthy in certain situations. So it's up to me to figure out what those are. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, a healthy scenario of where I've been driven before and goal-oriented was when I was in high school. I was getting ready to graduate. I was a senior, and I wanted to go to college. Uh, college is expensive, and I did not have the money. So I had to figure out a way to pay for it. And so the first thing I did was look for scholarships, grants. And I had a, I was blessed with a great counselor in high school, and she was very helpful in helping people find scholarships. She had a table in her office. She had an open door policy uh, table in her office that had all the different applications. And every day, just about, she was updating and putting out new applications for different scholarships that she ran across. So almost every day I was going in her office and scanning the table, seeing if there was a new application that I could qualify for. And if there was, I'd take it. I probably filled out dozens of scholarship applications. And um, I ended up getting about eight which, you know, out of all the ones I applied for, I was like, oh, eight, that's it, you know. <laughs> but actually, when it came time for, like, baccalaureate and we were looking, as far as the quantity of number of different scholarships, I, I probably had one of the most in my class. And it wasn't because I was, any, I was the best student. I wasn't valedictorian or anything like that. It was because I had the determination and the drive to reach my goals. And I decided every day I'd go in there, and some people didn't do that. Um, so that's just a, an example of how my personality and being driven is, can be healthy. Um, but then also, I have to watch out because it can turn unhealthy very quickly. Um, because part of that for me is that I really like to be in control. I like to, if I'm determined I want to do this thing, then I want to be in control of what's going on. And as soon as I feel like the control is leaving me and I don't have control, then I get very frustrated easily. I get very upset. Um, the people around me uh, that are closest to me probably get hurt the worst. So you can ask my wife, she'll tell you, because uh, I might hold it in while I'm here. But then when I go home, I let it all out. Um, so for me, being so driven and wanting to have that control can also be unhealthy. I have to know, recognize that in my own life and try my best, even though I fail more times than not, to not uh, relinquish that on my wife and her our relationship because she had nothing to do with it half the time. Or more than half the time, really. <laughs> so those are just some examples from my life of how you know, having a, a drive and, and how an unhealthy drive will affect the relationships around you. You know, there are, but there are two unhealthy drives in Rachel's life that we want to look at today that they were eroding her life and these two can also, if we're not careful, uh, hinder our lives as well. The first unhealthy drive is the drive for approval. Rachel wanted approval. 
She felt like she wasn't approved by God because she couldn't have children. She wasn't approved of by her husband because she couldn't have children. And, you know, for humans, one of the biggest needs that we have is the need for approval. We need to be approved. We need to feel like we have approval from others. And maybe this has been something that's hindered you in the past that you've been caught up in. Uh, Maybe, you know, you've been in a relationship that you knew you shouldn't have been in, but because that person made you feel good, you felt like you had approval from them, you decided to do it anyway um, so that you could feel approved. In our social media world today, this is so important because all of us pretty much have access to social media. We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, all these different platforms, and they're all about the same thing. We're, we're posting these things, pictures, stories of our lives because we want people to like them. We want to get approval from people. So when when we post our picture, we go back and look and we say, oh, how many people like this? And the more people that like it, the better we feel because we feel like people have approved of us. And if people don't like it, then we feel really bad. Like, well, maybe I should delete that because no one really liked it. And now I start feeling bad about myself. But, and, and the other funny thing is when you really think about it, how many of those people, how many people do you have on your Facebook, for instance, that you've maybe met one time? You don't really know them from anybody. Or people that you, there might be people that like you or you like follow or whatever. You don't even know them. So it's so funny that we get so wrapped up in those people liking our posts when we've never even talked to them. Why does it matter? But especially today, we need, we want the need of, feel like we need approval uh, from other people. So that can be an unhealthy drive. The second unhealthy drive that we look at in Rachel's life was uh, the drive for achievement. She wanted to outdo her sister Leah. She wanted to do better than her. And when she saw that Leah, her sister, was having all these kids and she still did not have any, she felt like a loser. She felt like she hadn't achieved anything. She wasn't worth anything. And again, we've probably faced this in our lives, looking again at social media, when we see people uh, posting what we call the highlight reel of their lives. When they post about their vacation they went on, or they post about their new job promotion, or their new house, their new kids, or you know, they're getting married, whatever the case may be, we look at those things and we think, oh man, look at them, they've done so much, they're achieving so much, and I feel like I've done nothing because I'm a loser. Um, and when you don't realize and stop and think, they're just posting their highlight reels. They have, they have things going on in their lives that they probably look at you and think the same thing. But we have this unhealthy goal, this unhealthy drive of achievement. And I was thinking back through my life again, just thinking of uh, an area or a time when I had this unhealthy goal to achieve something. And I thought of this story uh, when I was in fifth grade. And up until this morning, you guys are the second people to hear this story. So um, I never really told this to much people. But when I was in fifth grade, I remember we went to the library at the beginning of the year. And the library had gotten these uh, volume of new biography type books, like big chapter type books. And they wanted people to read them. They got them, so they're like trying to encourage everyone to read these new books. And I remember they sat us down and they were like, hey guys, if you will read all of these books by the end of the year, then 
you know, if one of you does it or if all of you do it, then we'll, we'll have a prize. We'll do some kind of big thing because we want you to really read these books. So we're like, okay, cool. So I remember I took like two books, and I think we all had to take one that day. So we all get our book. I get two of them for whatever reason. I go home. I read one of the books. I did not read the other one. And I went to the library because it, it was like time to check them back in. I give them back, and the lady like notices I have those books, and she writes my name down that I read both those books. But I had only read one. But I didn't say anything. I was like, okay, cool. I get credit for two. I don't have to worry about that. I don't like reading, FYI. So um, I ended up checking out a couple more and took those home. Didn't read them at all. Went back a few weeks later, checked them in. They marked my name down. I was thinking, huh, this is cool. I can win this prize and don't have to do anything for it. And this was really dumb because, which I found out later, as the year progressed, I was already too deep into it then, so I had to keep going, you know. <laughs> no one else in my class cared about this prize. Whatever it was going to be, they could care less. They didn't want to read those books. No one else did this. I, no one even tried to read the books. So I'm just like, kept going every few weeks, getting books and taking them back until the end of the year. And, uh, I mean, they just marked my name down. Cool, I've read all these books. And then I, want, I got back this little trophy for reading or something. That's why I ended up winning. It wasn't even like a pizza party or nothing cool. <laughs> but uh, I just say all that to say, like, it was an unhealthy drive in that time of my life. For, for whatever reason, I felt like I had to keep doing this. And it caused me to lie, to cheat, do all these things that I shouldn't do. I'm not proud of that. Um, but I just wanted to, wanted to share that, to share with you that there are things in our lives that, are, that cause us these unhealthy drives. And if you're, if you're really trying to contemplate and think, okay, what are some unhealthy drives in my life? I can tell you this. If it causes you to lie or cheat, like I did, then it's probably an unhealthy drive. <laughs> then, uh, so that kind of helps narrow it down for you. If you're trying to do things that are not right, that are immoral, then that's an unhealthy drive. We need to quit that. Um, so we've looked at uh, approval and achievement and how they can be unhealthy. And here's what we have to do when we're faced with unhealthy drives because our drive will determine what we pursue. Here's our next step. We had to remind ourselves that we have nothing to prove and no one to impress. Remind yourself that you have nothing to prove and no one to impress. We can get ourselves in trouble when we try to prove ourselves to people that don't matter. Uh, kind of like with the social media, when we're trying to do, impress people by posting our highlight reels and stuff, it can get us in trouble. And uh, for me, again, I'm a very weird individual. I have my own little quirks and things that I, I like. And something that I really enjoy, that you might, you might think I'm crazy. Some of you might. You might be in my camp of crazy. But uh, one thing that I really enjoy doing is cleaning my house. I just, I don't know why. People think that's weird probably, but I love it. I love cleaning my house. I cleaned my house yesterday. It was awesome. Um, but I do want to mention, if you come to me after service, I said that I like cleaning my house. I don't like cleaning your house, so don't even ask. Um, I like to clean my house. And some people really, when they come over, they think, oh, man, I can't believe you cleaned up so much. It's so nice. But, like, our house is pretty much just stays clean because I like to clean it. I'm not doing it to impress people. Like, people think, oh, they're, he's just impressing us when they come over to hang out or something. Like, no, actually... 
majority of the time, like when my parents come and stay, things like that, I don't clean before they come. I clean when they leave because they are nasty. So like, <laughs> my house is clean enough most of the time that I, people can come, and then I'll just clean when they leave. Uh, so some, some of you might be in that boat. Most of you probably are not. But I say all that to just say, you know, I'm not doing it to impress people. I just do it because I like it, and that makes me happy. And uh, I'm not saying that everything you do that makes you happy, you should do. But I am saying that you shouldn't worry about what other people, we're not trying to, we're not here to impress other people that don't matter. So how can we live this out in our lives? How do we, how can we live on trying not to, to prove ourselves to others? This is how we have that mindset. The first thing is we have to realize that in Christ, we work from the place of approval and not for approval. So if we're believers in Christ, we work from the place of approval and not for approval. Spiritually, we have to understand that when we surrender to Christ, God fully approves of us. We have to stop trying to live every day like God doesn't approve of us and we're trying to earn his approval. Because that's not how it works. If you've surrendered to, to Jesus and you've accepted him, he's accepted you. And, and the funny thing is we tell people all the time, you just need to accept Jesus in your heart. Accept Jesus in your heart. But the gospel is that God's already accepted you. There's nothing you can do to earn it. The gospel is when you realize that God accepts you. He accepts you for who you are. Your faults, your failures, everything about you. Your unhealthy drives. He still loves you. He approves of you. So we don't have to seek approval from others because God's approved us. Uh, John, one of Jesus' closest followers, he wrote this. He said, we love him, meaning God, because he first loved us. We don't love God so that God will love us. We love God because he loved us first. He chose us first. Uh, there's a scripture reference that, uh, where Jesus is getting baptized. And before he gets baptized, John the Baptist says that he heard God the Father say, This is my son whom I'm well pleased so even for Jesus, before he preached one message, before he performed any miracles, did any type of ministry on this earth, God said, I believe in you. I approve of you. And today, that is exactly what he wants us to receive as that message, that he approves of us. So when we work from the place of approval, you have nothing to prove to anybody because God approves of you. And finally, we work for God and not for people. When you learn this principle, you'll stop trying to impress other people. That we spend most of our lives trying to impress, like I said, the people that don't really matter. We spend too much energy on that. But we need to be focused on impressing God and pleasing God. I want you to write this down in your notes. Uh, Colossians 3.23. It says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. So whatever we do, whether it's in our jobs, whether it's raising our families, everything we do, we need to have the mindset that we're doing it for God. We're not doing it to please others or impress others. We want to please Him. Remember, we have nothing to prove, no one to impress. We serve God and we aim to please Him. And God already accepts us for who we are. So let me ask you this. Where are you struggling at in your life? What drives have cost you the most? Could you imagine a life where you were content and free from trying to impress people? 
Could you imagine a life where, where you weren't trying to prove something to people who really don't matter? Can you imagine a content heart? When we know that our good God fully approves of us and fully accepts us, that changes everything. Paul told the church in Philippi one of the keys to his life. You know, this is a man that was put in prison. He was beaten. He also saw great revivals, saw many people come to Jesus. He had high highs and low lows in his ministry. And he said the key key to having a good, healthy drive is contentment. He told them in chapter 4 that I have learned how to be content when I've had a lot, when I've preached the best message and people have come to know Jesus. I've learned to be content in that. I've also learned how to be content when I have nothing. When I'm tied up in a dungeon, in a cell, been beaten, bloodied, bruised, I've learned to be content then as well. He says, I've learned to be content in every situation because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's where he found his strength. That's where he found contentment was through Christ. He can do everything, whether it's on the mountaintop or down in the valley. You know, we can find freedom from unhealthy drives by receiving the life of contentment that God offers, only he offers. And that's what we need to do today. Let us pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for allowing us to be here today. We thank you for your your message that you want to touch each of our lives with. God, I pray that you'll be with each person in this room, that we would learn to be content, that we would seek you and find out what these unhealthy drives are that are in our lives and learn how to reconcile them and turn them into healthy things, healthy drives, God. I pray that you would help us not to seek approval from others, but that we would know that you approve of us and that we would live in that daily. Whatever life throws our way, every day we get up, we would know that we're doing it for you, that we're living our life for you and not for anyone else. If you are, uh, would like to today with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if today you say that's you, that you feel like you have those unhealthy drives that are controlling your life and that you're not fully surrendered to God, if that's you today, I'd love for you to pray this prayer with me and, and take your connection card and mark on your connection card that today you decided to fully surrender to God and take that over afterwards to the Connection Center. But if that's you today, pray this prayer with me. Say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I have unhealthy drives. I admit that I need your help. And I believe that you sent your son to die on a cross for me, to save me. And I confess that Jesus is Lord of my life today and every day. Thank you, God for making me a new creature through you and for giving me a new life. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.